We were snowboarding in 89.90 and literally the only people on the mountain doing it. It showed me that people can be unfair and mean to you because you're doing something new. Not because it's wrong, but because it makes them uncomfortable. I said, they're trying to put this out. They're trying to kill this fire in me, whatever this is. I just walked away from the predictable path. Life is hard and I never accepted the victim role. It has been the wildest ride and I've been on a lot of wild rides. Hello and welcome back to the Almost False Podcast where I interview regular people with incredible stories. Today's guest is one that you might recognize. His videos have gotten over 50 million views on TikTok and have impacted people all over the world. I had a chance to sit down with him to talk about his life story, which is all about being anti-normal and going against the current of the culture. Whether you agree with him or not, you'll definitely find some value in this conversation. So let's not wait any longer and jump right in with Luke from Voice of Reasons. My life obviously got flipped upside down at that point. And we went in an entirely different other direction. So where in Denver, I was tracking to definitely trouble on some level. Um, now in the mountains, I had a, what I see now was the kind of thing necessary for me to go in this direction, which inevitably gets me here. It went from, I thought I had an idea what life was about to an entirely different reality that I've just been doing ever since. So, so what does that mean to have that drastic change? Can you explain it a little bit to me? So. In 1988, we started at this ski area called Loveland Ski Area, obviously skiing because at the time snowboarding didn't exist. And uh, my brother had seen, he was a skateboarder, he had seen snowboarding in a magazine, something they were doing in California, but not here in Colorado. He got a job at the ski area up there in the rental shop. And in 88, 89, because we, he worked in the rental shop officially, I would do something, I would um, size boots. So we'd go there in the morning. And I would, for the big ski rush in the beginning of the day, I would uh, get the skiers their boots, the right size boots for them. And then the people that own the ski area would give me a free lift ticket. So we would ski during the day. And then they allowed us to, with the last chair, take out these snowboards. Nobody knew what snowboarding was, but they didn't allow it at the ski area. So we would go up with the last chair in like 88, 89 that, that season and snow, try and figure out how to snowboard down. And that Snowboarding became a major focus in my life. And so we, you know, we were snowboarding in 8990 and literally the only people on the mountain doing it. And um this tip of the spear, you know, being in the snowboard industry really was the next 10 years of my life, eight to 10 years of my life. And um it taught me about doing the thing that people don't like or they don't know about because it's new to them, but not stopping. It showed me that people can be unfair and mean to you because you're doing something new, not because it's wrong, but because it makes them uncomfortable. And so here we are snowboarding and progressing the sport of snowboarding and being discriminated all the way. They would call us knuckle draggers and flatheads and run over our snowboards and tell us we couldn't get on the lift or whatever. I know that sounds silly now. It's such an accepted sport, but people who remember snowboarding in the early 90s, this is what it was like. So that's the first time where you really went in a different direction than the crowd intentionally, and that shaped up the rest of your life. So there's also something else in your teenage years, you told me, that had a very similar impact, but it was in school. Can you get into that? Because that's a very interesting story. Yeah, so by 1991... I uh, had started to get sponsors. I was sponsored by snowboard companies. 
I was having a lot of success. Snowboarding was becoming more accepted. And then on December 15th of 1991, I broke my femur and not just, I hit a uh, stump and I actually broke both lobes off. I broke the femur in half right at the knee. Very critical uh, injury. The people had no idea what to do. My leg was entirely contorted and misshapen. I could have punctured my femoral artery. I could have died. By the grace of God, I didn't. But this changed everything. And what happens is during this time of being very sick, and I could have lost my leg, I could have been severely uh, disabled for the rest of my life. This is when I find Jesus proper. My mom had told me about Jesus, but I had this moment on Christmas Day, which is kind of ironic, where I knew Jesus had healed me and he was real and he loved me. And so I, in this broken leg trauma, I find Jesus, I find the living God, and he promises me that I would be healed and I would be able to snowboard again. So I go back to school with a full cast, hip to toe cast on crutches. And I'm trying to get back into school and I've changed. I'm a different person and school doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I finish out that semester and that next summer, we go from Jesus kind of being an idea to this full-blown relationship, witnessing to people, telling people about Jesus, um, dedicating our life to Jesus, et cetera. So when I go back to school the next year, now I've had this time to decompress and really understand my identity in Jesus. And I, I feel this, the way I explained it to my mom is I felt like I had a fire burning in my heart, almost like I was a lantern. And I would go to school and they would, the administrators and teachers would just turn on the water hose and try and put this, water, this fire out all day. And they would drench it out to a whimper. And I would go home and I would start to kind of rebuild and I would go to school the next day. And I told my mom, I said, they're trying, to, they're trying to put this out. They're trying to kill this fire in me, whatever this is. So I started expressing her concerns about school and kind of that conformity. Meanwhile, snowboarding's taking off. I had a deal worked out with the school where if I stayed on the honor roll, I only had to go to school four days a week so I could train three days a week. Anyways, um, there's a certain day where the bus driver, her and I didn't get along very well. She was, I was pretty rambunctious, long hair, um, kind of grom, we would call it. And she said, Luke, sit down, turn around, sit down in your chair. And I said, Jill, you know why you're so angry? You need Jesus. <laughs> I said, Jesus is the son of God. He died for your sins and he loves you. And all you have to do is believe. And she writes me up and she scribbles on her notes. So I go to school the next day with my mom. We have a meeting with the principal. Like the only time I think I've ever really gotten any kind of formal trouble. And the principal named Miss McDuffie, she's, you know, you can't do these things, yada, yada. And she says, and it says here that you preached to the bus driver. You preached about Jesus to Jill. And I said, yeah, I told her about Jesus. She said, there is no place for that in this school. Really skexy, really authoritarian. There is no place for that in this school. I looked over at my mom and she kind of gave me the nod and we walked over and she checked me out of school right there unenrolled me done at 14 yes i was i broke my leg at 14 this was the next year i was 15 and how did that work after because not a lot of 15 year olds drop out of school and the ones that do usually have some kind of street life going on or something else you didn't really have that so what happened after you left school so 
we tried doing a little bit of homeschooling and it just my homeschool teacher was named Mrs. Devilbus who could possibly write this story it just cuz it wasn't working out for me intellectually i have dyslexia and it was, i was always an honorable student but it wasn't fun for me to learn and i just the way that snowboarding was taking off the way that my career was taking off we had started a snowboard clothing company i had the decision to make which is high school, college, whatever, be a businessman or be a professional snowboarder, serve Jesus and make this snowboard clothing company work at 15. Uh, and I just said, I, I know, I know that path of the predictability and it's not for me. I'm not doing that. And so I'll figure out the education thing later. I took my GED a couple years later and passed it and got out of that, whatever. But I, in snowboarding, when you're 15, 16, and you're competing, it's like a aging in dog years. The sport was progressing so fast. And I couldn't justify to myself abandoning my clothing company and my snowboarding career. And I want to say, Jesus, I understand some people are able, a lot of people are able to go to school and maintain their faith, but I, I wasn't going to be able to. The way that I believed, it was one or the other. And so I just trusted God, not just with my mom's blessing. I trusted God and we went fully into the clothing company my snowboarding career and Jesus. And uh, I just, I just walked away from the predictable path. So you had a little run there, a good run where you were snowboarding and then it all came to a halt. Yeah. So 94, 95, 96, I rode for a, a snowboard company named Never Summer. I knew the owners really well. And between my clothing company, A10 and Never Summer, we pretty much influenced the entire I-70 corridor. Every kid at Loveland Ski Area had our pants on, had our jackets on, and had Never Summer snowboards. And I won every contest that I was ever in. Granted, they were smaller, you know, local ski area kind of contests, but I won every contest I was in. I was filming in videos. And we were just, we were at the tip of the spear, influencing a lot of people, progressing the sport of snowboarding. And then in 98, I was trying to remember if it was 98 or 99, I was up at Vail and I misestimated a jump, a tabletop, cleared it, landed way in the flats, and uh, it felt like somebody hit me in the leg with a sledgehammer. It was the leg that I had broken. I had to wait and get carted off. We never had it looked at because I didn't have insurance. I just knew I was done. I likely came out of my broken leg with no ACL and potentially no MCL. I might've had an MCL, we don't know. But whatever ligaments I had, ACL, MCL, maybe even PCL, I, I shredded them all there and uh, my snowboarding career was over. And I was either 18 or 19, I forget. But it was very difficult for me because I was the guy, our snowboarding clothing company was burgeoning and I wasn't gonna be able to snowboard anymore. I, I, even if I was able to fix my leg, I was defeated at my subconscious level and I was going to snowboard afraid. And that's what I just knew it wasn't going to happen. So now we have the snowboard clothing company. I can't snowboard. And at the same time, we find out that my mother has a meningioma brain tumor. And this starts the next chapter, this crazy ride. So that's a lot of things that are happening. You're a kid, you leave school and have this business plan. And at the same time, you want to become a pro snowboarder. That gets shattered into pieces. And now you're a kid with no education and the plan that you had mm -hmm. fell apart. 
and now your mother mm -hmm. is struggling. And I forgot to mention uh, at 17, in the midst of the snowboarding career that was doing well, my father was murdered. He was a taxi cab driver, and um, nobody knows. As a, people think that it was his current wife that had done it, and she got the payoff or whatever. But yeah, he uh, he was murdered. He took, he accepted a fare, and they took him out and shot him to death. How did you deal with that psychologically, having all these tragic events one after another? I mean, from the beginning, uh, as a preemie, six weeks premature, I just I have a spirit of fighting. Um, Life is hard, and I never accepted the victim role of like, uh, I would this happen to me, you know, none of that kind of stuff. So it was really processing and trying to move forward. But what it did do is this relationship that I had with Jesus started to become more and more strained. Um, it was a very slow death for my mom. They tried to operate on her, and they caused a stroke. So she was paralyzed on one half of her body. She couldn't speak. She had a tracheotomy. They couldn't operate on the brain tumor. It was too vascular. So it was just, uh, she was going to die or be healed. So we took her home and my brother and I took 24 hour care of her for about a year and a half, um, full kind of intensive care. And she ended up passing on Mother's Day of 2001 of all the ironies in this weird script. But while she was sick, we were praying and fasting. I was seeing a girl and I was trying not to have relations with her because I didn't want to be sinning. We would do a three-day fast. We had the elders come. We had everybody come and pray for her. I believed Jesus was going to heal her. I was like, right. I was like, yeah, he could heal her. It's going to be no problem. This is how I felt about Jesus. Uh, and that didn't happen. And it, this trauma, you know, you find out your dad dies. That's like instant hit. And then you process this. We were in the middle of it. We would do 24-hour shifts. And one of us would sleep while the other one was on on shift, and we were it was it was very critical care. So that one, when she died in two thousand one, I was done. I was done with Jesus. I was done with the whole thing because my mom, having met Jesus, was um was a fanatical Christian, and she loved Jesus. And as the brain tumor kind of set in, she became a little bit more extreme in her thinking. But you know, when my snowboarding career ended, it was kind of like what. Well, you're disobedient to God. You're having sex with a woman. Uh, you're in a, in a fornicating relationship. So yeah, God probably took that from you, these kind of things. And I love my mom, but it was very, you know, I knew God was real and he was pissed. So when she died, the way she died, I just was like, well, whatever, I'm out. Like, I get it. What, what? You're going to serve God and die in some terrible way? What's the point? You know, became very nihilistic in my faith. Honestly, I kind of figured I was just going to go into the secular world. I was going to, I started partying. I started, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And just kind of was like, yeah, I can uh, bail on this whole thing. So you bail out on God and you become more and more secular. And you get into the, the culture at the time. And how is that transition for you? And more importantly, what were you pursuing and what were you seeking at that time? What happens is mom dies on Mother's Day, and on June 1st, basically two weeks later, I had to go get a job proper. I hadn't had a job, because I, I had my clothing company for years, and I just, every minute of every day, you asked earlier how those traumas affected me, I just busy, I'm a busy, I have to say busy, 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 and I was busy only doing worldly things. 
it allowed me to cope with my life. It allowed me to cope with the trauma. Just kind of don't think about those things that happened. Just pretend that didn't happen and just stay busy. And, and as, as, as I succeed and as I have, you know, shoot low rounds of golf or our band does well or, you know, whatever thing I just uh, can kind of justify feeling good. Um, and this is what I did for a good 10 years of just fully worldly secular guy. So by saying that, you're alluding to the fact that after 10 years, it changed again. You had something else happen. Mm. Yes. Yes, God is good to me. So while I was going through this fully secular time, I started to get into conspiracy. You got to remember this. Uh, 2001 happened, 9-11. Nobody that watched that happen was like, oh, yeah, that, that's, that looked right. So I get into conspiracy, doing all my secular things. Things are going well. Uh, I meet my wife and we become pregnant. 2015, we have our son. And then I guess I would say that all of the partying maybe or all of the trauma, it's hard to say, uh, caught up with me and I developed an autoimmune condition. It started with blood in my urine and a really high fever that no one could figure out. And then a face rash that took over my whole face. I lost a ton of weight. Everybody that saw me, it's like, you're dying. It's, that's sad. And um, at the same time, I had the idea for the operating system. That's what this is here, my first documentary. So, you know, music, snowboarding, all these things I've done. I reached out to my filmmaker buddy and I said, I want, well, you got to help me make a movie. He goes, nobody's going to make that movie. You, you're going to have to make it yourself. I go, but I don't make content. I don't know. You know what this is. And I had all of my equipment for recording. You would be familiar with that. I had the microphones and the and interface and all these things. Yeah. And so um, it was like, okay, uh, I have to make this movie. So now paint this picture. I'm grown up now. I have a son. I'm managing the golf courses. I have this experience and I have this vision to make this documentary. And I have an autoimmune condition. All these things happen at once. This is 2017, 2018. And so I'm at the golf course working. I'm trying to keep this physical body together and I'm building this documentary, the operating system. And as these things converge, it appears as though the stress of the job that I was in was potentially killing me. That was one of the potential suspects as to what was happening to me. I had fallen in love with a skill or a craft that I didn't know that I was very capable of doing, which was creating content. If you see the movie, The Operating System, I had a pretty good feel for what I'm even doing now with my very first, very first uh, project. And the health condition isn't getting any better. So it was in my heart. I believe God was asking me or offering me to come work for him to make content full time. So it was like, uh, pursue the thing I love, take all of my life experiences and all the things I had learned and pour into it, serve Jesus again, and you know, go on this adventure. Well, my wife is an amazing God-fearing woman, and she's fearless. And she said, I'm not going to watch you stress yourself out to death at this job. I believe in you. I believe in God. And so we sold everything we had in Denver, and I quit my well-paying job uh, with much security, and we sold everything we had, and we moved 3,500 miles from Denver, Colorado, to northern Maine, where we bought a farm home. We paid cash for it because Denver's housing market's crazy, and we came out here with the idea of making content. And it was the second time 
you essentially had a second opportunity to go against the grain because you did that at uh, 15 or whatever when you were in school and you left school, which is something that no one does and it mm -hmm. sounds crazy to do. And you had this plan, it shattered, and now you became normal again. And after 10 years, whatever the span of time happened, you had the second opportunity to be against the grain again, to go against the current of the culture, and you took it, not knowing where that was going to lead you. Yeah. Must have been scary too, because you sell everything that you have, everything that you know, and you move. And what your plan was to make content that you didn't know how to do that. Yeah. When, when we had the clothing company, Every year, there was this decision that we had to make, which was stop doing the clothing company and get a job or spend the off-season working on the clothing company, which doesn't make any sense. But if we work on this clothing company, maybe we'll somehow make money and trust in God to provide. And every year, I had to make this decision. It was always very hard for me. And so in the snowboard company, we wouldn't take the job. We would pursue the snowboard company, and it would always work. God would always provide. Well, fast forward to this. It was a very similar thing. You hit that right on the head. It was do the thing that doesn't make any sense, but trust God, the thing that you believe that God is telling you to do and trust in him for provision. And it was, it was me having to rehash all of that trauma again. It's like, I knew it worked. I, I saw it happen and we were progressing snowboarding and it was the happiest I had ever been. And it was, it was a, me and my natural element. What I should have been doing is going to school and having a job and not influencing the sport of snowboarding and living this dream life. And I have this decision again. You're exactly right. And this happened pretty recently too. This is not like many, many years ago. This happened recently. And so what, what I noticed is you left with nothing but a vision. You had an idea of how to make it work, but you didn't know how. And you left and you trusted and you went against the system again. And my question is, how has that worked out for you? So, yeah, that was 2020. Um, that was three years ago. We're, this month, we're celebrating three years of having left. It has been the wildest ride, and I've been on a lot of wild rides. I, I have to give God credit for his brilliance and his gentleness in my life. Uh, when I left, I thought I was going to make basically conspiracy content. It was going to be Christian influence, Christian undertoned conspiracy content. I didn't think it was going to be full blown apologetic ministry reaching. I think we have over 50 million views at this point. Wow. Um, if you trust the living God, you can't see him. It's super counterintuitive. But it, if you trust the living God, he always comes through. He's done this for me in my life so remarkably, but he always forces me to choose him over the world. And this has been happening for decades now. So status update, God is providing for my family. I don't even understand it. We ran out of money about a year in, a year and a half maybe, and we're still going. And my agreement with God is that as long as he provides for my family, I will continue to do this. I've evolved as a filmmaker or as a content producer. We've had a ton of reach and I don't know where this goes particularly. But as of now, um, God has absolutely seen us through this. And uh, I mean, stay tuned. We'll see you. <laughs> we don't know. This is, there hasn't been a paycheck that says you're covered for the rest of your life. But we just know 
God has developed this with us that he's going to provide and that his will is going to be accomplished. And we as a family are in that area. And I can tell you this, my health has dramatically improved. I immediately put on weight. Um, I've been able to put, keep on uh, the weight. The autoimmune condition is there. Sometimes I have good days and bad days, whatever. But the health has gotten better. We've learned how to homestead. We remodeled this house. We ended up buying a house that was in much worse condition than we had thought. And uh, we have a community, a Discord community, and a bu- hundreds of people at this point really behind us, encouraging us to keep going as we I- intend to. The mission statement for VOR is to defend the creator in the information war. And we have we become kind of a a cheerleader a little bit for people who believe in the Bible to kind of get behind and to be God's representative, hopefully in media. We'll see how far it goes, but um, yeah, what an honor. Yeah, I'm really happy for you because it, it's quite the, I don't want to call it a gamble, but it's something that you're, you don't have any assurance of anything at all. And the message that I get from it is that even though some things might not make sense to other people, it's not because it doesn't make sense to other people or that it doesn't have typical logic that it can't work because you've done that multiple times. Well, twice that I know of where you did it and it has worked. So there's a lot of people that want to go in a different direction than the world around them. And mm-hmm. a lot of people scare them into doing that. Seems like what you're saying is, at least for you, that was the direction you were supposed to go in. And you had the guts to take that and you know, really applaud that from you. I don't think this should come across as everybody quit their job and go do the harebrained thing they have in mind. Um, this was surprisingly calculated comparatively. I mean, it's a crazy idea, but when I first had the information for the operating system presented to me, however this happened, it was 2017. I released it in 2018. We didn't leave till 2020. We were praying constantly. Um, when you intend to serve God and you patiently push, what my wife and I try and do is, you know, it's hard to say if a door is open. When I talked about woo-woo Christianity earlier, instead of just being paralyzed, what do I do? We try to push open a window. We try to push open the door and we say, God, if you want to close the door or you want you don't want that to open, then please do. But we try to act. So if God is put something on your heart or you have an innate attribute to provide the world and it's a risk to do it it's okay and you would almost even expect that because anything that's good is you have to fight for how does that saying go anything that's worth doing is going to be a struggle i'm making up new ways to explain this but um if god is calling you and you have something you you sing or you build or you're good at business management. I need a business manager. <laughs> if you have if you have uh, something that you can provide, God very likely when you take the the risk, you said risk earlier, it's a good word. When you go out on faith and go I'm going to pursue this thing God, I need you. I need you to make it happen. In my life anyways, twice over 30 years, he's met me entirely. And the more faith I have, the harder I work towards it, the more he opens the doors. And if I'm if I'm the guy with 17 degrees, it's like the, it's my work. I did the thing and I get the glory. But God calls the unqualified. Read the Bible. David, Moses, Abraham, Gideon. The, these are people that are unqualified, but are willing. And if you're unqualified and willing and you trust God, 
then he gets the glory when it works, right? And that's all that's happening here is he is faithful. So if you had to say one thing, you obviously have gone through a lot, a lot of trauma, a lot of things that are unusual. If there's one message that you took out from it, if you could put it in just a few sentences, what would it be? God is good and life is beautiful. Life is hard. It's hard. It's, it's hard on purpose. This fight against entropy, God built in because struggle builds character. So embrace the hard thing. Be bold. Be fearless. Serve God. This repurposed version of these inert, uh, no character, no spirit, no personality, zombie apocalypse thing that the world is kind of creating right now. This isn't what God had intended. And life can be so rewarding and fulfilling. But we have to, we have to take him seriously. And I'm not talking about religion. Because I, I'm done with religion. I, I've been out of that for a long time. I'm talking about a relationship with the living God. Find out what he wants to do and go after that. Because you, you're going to die. We're all going to die. It's a beautiful ride. We, 30 trips around the sun, 100 trips, however many trips you get around the sun, if that's even how it works, who knows? And nobody gets off alive. It's a great ride. But you know, when you're done and you go up there and he says, what did you do? You're going to have a conversation with God. What did you do? with your gifts, you know, the parable of the talents. You just, you want to be able to say, at least say that I tried, right? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Almost False Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to leave a like and subscribe for more interviews like this. If you found this content valuable, please share it with a friend. It really helps us out a lot and hopefully it will help them too. If you want to be on the show, you can go to almostfalls.net and submit your story there. We would love to hear from you. With that being said, I hope you have a great rest of your day and stay blessed.